I wonder whether we can step into the shoes of an Israeli military lawyer and go from start to finish. How are we going to... Let's kill someone. Sure. So I'll jump straight to the fire. Uh, you're instrumental in developing the targeted killing yes. thesis. Uh, yeah. Can you the tell Israeli me? Israeli targeted killing. Israeli targeted killing thesis. Um, why then, and, and what happened? Yeah. Um, take a long time. This so great. Okay. That was the voice of Colonel Daniel Reisner. He previously held the position of head of the International Law Department of the Israeli military. And that is Craig Jones. I'm. Uh, Lecturer in Political Geography at Newcastle University. So this is a story about military lawyers in Israel. Let me not tell it now. Let's hear it as it comes. This is Daniel Reisner once again. Uh, He's taking us to a place earlier in his career where he's in a conversation with a ranking officer in the army. I said to him, what, what do you need me for? It says, very simple. When something happens, I need you to tell me when I can open fire. And I said, I think you've got our roles reversed a bit. He said, no. no, you see, I don't know if I'm allowed to shoot, but you do, right? I said, no. <laughs> but I... <laughs> now, blind leading the blind. <laughs> yeah, now the, now the reality is that everyone understood it's a tough question and they assumed the military lawyers probably know that, right? right. And then we weren't trained, but they must know. Um, but the bottom line was that that was the first time I actually encountered the reality that in re- really complicated situations, the army doesn't have a clue. So I'm James Milsom. This is the rule book. And a couple of things before we go on. This story centers around the conflict between Israel and Palestine, but it's not really about the conflict. So I'm not really going to go into the history of the conflict and all of that. There's uh, lots to find out about the conflict, but I'm sort of going to assume that knowledge anyway, because this story is about military lawyers in Israel, and it's about the powers that they've received over time, as has been told to me. And, well, it's a wide-reaching story. Stay with me and Craig, Craig Jones. The first scenario is they have somebody in mind that they want to kill. Let's say, you know, some Hamas leader who's like number two or three on their list and they've they've been trying to get him for years. He's been on the list. They collect intelligence. Intelligence could be from like hacked phones, an informant on the ground in Palestine, whatever. Uh, Information-centric, they call it. You know, you need a ton of really accurate information in order to... Uh, to target someone. And this process usually takes years. Uh, a person will remain on a stack of papers containing profiles of other people for a long time. And the aim is to get the target. To a place where you can predict his or her behaviour so that you know that they have a plan that they're going to, you know, from A to B. Um, and, and let's say A is in a city, B is in the countryside. So you wait till they're outside of the city until they are, you know, out of their out of the city area, out of the built-up area, and you'll kill them whilst they're on the road because that will result, hopefully, in less collateral damage. Now, at this point, it would pay for me to give a little bit more of an explanation of who Craig is and what he does. 
Uh, I've told you that he's a lecturer in political geography. Geography in this context is not very khaki slacks and paisley tie at all. Craig's work has been into the role of military lawyers in Israel and specifically into their role in targeted killings. Craig interviewed about 30 people in Israel and Palestine for his PhD, which he did at the University of British Columbia. In the PhD, he was looking at the role of military lawyers in life and death decisions. I was mainly interested in talking to Palestinians about the effects of the bombing. That was kind of what I thought that I wanted to, to study. Um, didn't really emerge. I couldn't really figure out where these lawyers were, how they were involved in. Obviously, most of these Palestinians don't even know that these lawyers are doing this stuff and they don't really care anyway because when you mention it to them, they're like, well, so what if it's legal? We're still dying. You know, it's, it's kind of perverse. To help me tell this story, I've got the benefit of lots, seriously, lots, of interview material, uh, recordings that Craig took during the course of his research in Israel and Palestine. And so you'll be hearing lots of clips from those recordings. I should tell you that some of them were recorded uh, in cafes and you'll notice one very notably on a construction site. Deal with it. It's worth it. This is Gideon Levi, journalist with Haaretz, the Israeli newspaper. Gideon talked about one particularly notable thing for him which was just... Uh, the language that is used. Yeah. This, uh, because we don't say assassinations in Hebrew, for sure not murders. We say sikul memukad, which is targeted, uh, target... Sikul, uh, uh, how will I say it? Uh, but in any case, it's a land of words. It's a euphemism, right? A pardon? It's a, like a euphemism. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, the, one of the lawyers told me what it was. The translation is, is something like, t- t- yeah, it doesn't mention, there's no mention of killing in this. Sikul is preventing something. Right, right, a focus prevention or something like this. Exactly. Yeah, right. You know, it sounds focus prevention. Right. What is more clean than this? Right. We're going to hear a lot from a lot of different people in the course of this two-part piece, but I want to start inside the room and then work our way out. So I'm going to take you back to 2003, uh, where a meeting is taking place inside the Kiria, which is the Israeli military main headquarters uh, in central Tel Aviv. One day I'm waiting for a meeting of the deputy chief of staff. Once again, Daniel Reisner. Meeting's late. And one of the aides come in and says, Colonel Reisner, they want you downstairs. So I go downstairs and I see the meeting room with all of the targeted killing team. High-level general Reisner figures out that there's something up, something different to normal. So I say, okay, what's going on? They say, look, we have a situation. We have a terrorist group in Gaza, which has kidnapped a local individual who they believe is one of our Jews. Okay. And they're currently interrogating him with extreme prejudice in this building. Basically, Gaza. he's being tortured. And we know that they are planning to kill him in about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. We know because they said because you're listening in or whatever. Water. So we've heard the term focus prevention. The people around this table are the focus prevention team. So they're sitting around a table and they're basically discussing whether or not they should order a missile to be used against a target, effectively ending the interrogation. The problem is they've come up against what they call an operational problem. The mathematical analysis of the missile trajectory 
and blast radius show that no matter how they fire, the neighboring apartment is likely to be 80% destroyed as a result of the explosion. So I said, okay, what's in the next door apartment? He said, that's the thing, we don't know. We have zero intelligence in the next door apartment. We just know it's there. So can we fire the missile and we have 15 minutes? Wow. Let's see. And they said, okay, what assets do we have? And we had a UAV, and we had an agent on the ground, etc. And so we tried, I tried to look at them myself, and I couldn't get any information. And then I asked the, to ask the agent on the ground to see if there was laundry hanging out of the windows of the apartment, because in Gaza, people dry out, the families dry out their laundry on the window. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's see if there's a family there. And they said, there's nothing hanging, and the blinders are closed, and we don't know. So I said, look guys, tough one here, let me think about it. This is proportionality for experts. This is not proportionality for beginners. It's a tough question when you have zero intelligence. Uh, although I now had negative indications of, 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 of the apartment being residential because no signs of residential use. It doesn't mean it's not used. It's just it's a small indication that may not be. And then while I'm still thinking of what to say, the door opens and a very senior military official comes into the room, much higher than the ones in the room when they were higher. Uh, these targeted killing meetings have a man in charge, a commander of senior rank, whose ultimate responsibility it is to make the final call on a potential killing. This commander, however, grows impatient with the conversation. He interrupts these deliberations, points directly to Reisner, the lawyer, and asks the rest of the team Has he, Reisner, approved the strike yet? No, not yet, the others say, clearly also under the impression that the lawyer has been called in to make the final call, when, as I say, this isn't what should happen. So at that point, according to Reisner, the commander just left. And so Reisner told the room... You're a bit mixed up because I'm not the chief of staff, I'm just your lawyer. And I don't decide for you who you kill, I advise you on the risks Mm. any decision you make, and what you're doing right now is you're trying to throw the responsibility on me because you don't know what to do. And that won't happen. Not because I'm afraid of the responsibility, just because it's not my job. Right. Your job is to make the difficult decisions. I'll tell you what, ris- what are the legal risks you're going to take, and don't get mixed up. Daniel Reisner. He's not seen favourably by everyone around the world. At one extreme, he and his department are accused of committing war crimes against Palestinians, an accusation that has fuelled claims online that he should be tried by the International Criminal Court. At the other extreme, he's celebrated as the legal conscience of the Israeli military, the man who who created new law to deal with an especially turbulent time in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict called the Second Intifada. It began in 2000. What does Reisner look like? So Reisner is a... probably best described as a round chap. Uh, he is uh, he's a little overweight. He is very jovial looking, uh, wears kind of thin spectacles, um, wearing a suit, very smart, very professional, uh, but also distracts you immediately as as a kind of someone who um, 
takes themselves not too seriously and who's the center of attention and uh, likes a bit of a joke. Let's come back to Reisner. This is Amos Gloria. He was a legal advisor to the Gaza Strip. Look, at the end of the day, commanders decide. Right. But, 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 but because of the significant comma, maybe highly significant comma, role played by lawyers in the IDF would have been mandated, right? With with explaining the legal parameters mm. to commanders who need to decide quickly. But according to Amos, there are a lot of qualifications here. Another but. You can't come in and say, you know, I'm the lawyer, I'm smarter than you, I know better than you. If you do what I say, all will be well. No. 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 Your job is to facilitate a paradigm that enables these guys to work. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, right. Um, within the context of the law. And is there tension? Well, of course there's tension. It's inevitable there's tension. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these guys, and understandably so, they want to, you know, push the envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is David Benjamin formerly a lieutenant colonel in the Israeli Defense Force. First of all, the lawyers don't make the decisions, okay? The lawyers are advisors. Commanders make the decisions. Lawyers are advisors. Obviously, there's a lot of... Obviously, a legal opinion has a lot of weight attached to it, but it doesn't... But, but you know, if you, sometimes you, but you have to give an honest legal opinion. So you have to say to the... Often, often, you say to the commander, look, it's not a clear-cut issue. And there are all sorts of questions which are not clear-cut. I'm not going to... I'm not going to come... On a, clear, on a non-clear-cut issue, I'm not going to tell him it's clear-cut one way or the other. Because... These are lawyers. We know that lawyers are, well, they're advisors. I, I think I would, be, I would be, you know, a traitor to my profession if I went out and said, look, it's no problem, just go ahead. You know? Right, right. But then you would advise, you would say, look, your legal advice wouldn't just be, this is legal, it's not legal, or this is, this is, a, you would say, look, you know, do the, you know, it's not only being, say, so don't only do the right thing, do the clever thing. Okay. And then Craig takes us back into the war room with Daniel Reisner. At this point in the conversation, there's about 15 minutes to reach a decision before they believe uh, this guy is going to be killed on the ground. So at this point, Reisner, for reasons which will become obvious, becomes frustrated, basically, because they're asking him to make the decision. Um, so as he's telling me this story, he's kind of smiling. He's very, it's very much a kind of... Uh, you know, a humble brag, how he has to tell them off to put them in their place. But really, I mean, one can tell that he's, you know, he's smiling and basically, you know, um, doing this, what someone called to me, lawyer puffery, where they, you know, puff up their chest and uh, talk about how important uh, they are. Anyway, so he he gets annoyed uh, and then basically gives them a lecture. And this lecture, and this is a, a quote again, Uh, He says that I am not the chief of staff. The chief of staff is the head of the Israeli military. He says, I'm a lawyer and I don't decide for you who to kill. I advise you on the risks of any decisions you make and what you're doing right now is trying to throw the responsibility on me because you don't know what to do. But Reisner was about to give some legal advice on this targeted killing. What was the advice? Just after this. 
listening to this episode of The Rule Books, then why not subscribe? You'll be one of the first to hear all new episodes and it helps others find this excellent podcast. You might even like to support the hard work that goes into putting this podcast together by heading over to therulebook.xyz and donating your dollars. For as little as $2, you can help to make this excellent thing happen. Head on over now to therulebook.xyz. Then after saying that to you, I'll tell you that I don't think it's a war crime to attack the house. And I'll tell you why not, because you have a military reason to attack, you've got the target, you do not have indications of any civilians, you haven't seen any civilians in the house, and blinders are shut, there is no laundry. So, let's say it's 60% that the house is currently uninhabited and 40% that it may be inhabited somewhere. But given the balance of things and the time there, it doesn't sound like a war crime if you make the decision, even if you get it wrong. However, if it's a local orphanage and we got it wrong and we're going to kill them, we're all, we're all in shit. So my interpretation of that advice from Reisner is, if it's not a war crime, then go for it. He says that it's not a war crime, and so go for it. We don't yet know whether they do. Because, as he said, he's just giving advice. And this is advice about what we can call international humanitarian law. We're going to go into a little bit later the many things that it can be called and what it means. For now, on this, here is Gideon Levi, that journalist from Haaretz we heard from earlier. Basically, and this is also maybe important to mention, the whole attitude of Israel, the official Israel, and the non-official Israel, toward the international law, it is perceived as something which is aimed against Israel. Yeah. <laughs> Almost anti-Semitic. Right. The national law is a burden. Mm-hmm. It's something that Israel has to find its ways to bypass. Right. We are not part of the international law. No. This is for other countries, not for us. Right. A, because we are the chosen people. B, because we are the survivors, the Holocaust survivors. And C, because we are living on our existence. Yeah. All the three are totally, the third one is a lie, and the two others are totally irrelevant. <laughs> but that's the way of thinking. Yeah. So let's keep our heads in the war room while we hear a little bit about international humanitarian law, what's the law, who made it, etc. Okay, sure. So, yeah, the law with, with which we're dealing is basically called international humanitarian law, otherwise known as the laws of armed conflict, sometimes also called the laws of war. Um, those three names basically refer to the same thing. Uh, They are the international law, which consists of both Hague and Geneva uh, conventions and regulations, which date back from the late 18th century that go right through to the present day. An interesting kind of anecdote is that basically how you refer to it reveals your politics. So if I say to you, I call it international humanitarian law, and emphasising that the law is humanitarian in its intentions and aspirations. Mm. Um, And if I mentioned that to Israelis, uh, Israeli lawyers, they would think I was some kind of peacenik. Um, And so I kind of learned to adopt a vocabulary to call it what they call it, what most military lawyers, both in the US and Israel, call it, which is uh, the laws of armed conflict. 
because then what you're semantically emphasizing is the armed conflict. This is, you know, the laws aren't about the protection and, uh, of civilians and hum- humanitarianism. This tension of what the laws of war or international humanity, you know, you get the point, are for, well, that's particularly relevant for us, isn't it? Because these are the tools that military lawyers are using. Michael Sfard is an expert on international humanitarian law. He's a lawyer and political activist. We break into his conversation with Craig where he's talking about the view that laws restrict, they don't enable. So if you have a law, it restricts. You have laws of war that, that, that are directed at combatants, they restrict them. Everything, whatever is not written there is allowed. So in that sense, the whole idea, the whole concept of laws of war is to say there are some things that are not allowed. So the whole idea of saying that the laws of war are uh, have a goal or uh, are tailored to enable operation of, of armies is 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 flawed in, in 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 the understanding of what laws are. One of the things that I find really interesting here is that you could see military lawyers in a few different ways. You could say that they are really just a tool to use to be able to later on say that the killing that you wanted to do anyway was legal. Or you could say that they are something that you can go to as a resource to try to make sure that you're obeying the law because the law says what's right and you want to do what's right. But before you get these legal mechanisms for killing uh, even in play, you're going to establish that there's a war, that there's an armed conflict. Otherwise, you can't use the laws of war. Let's go back to Michael Sfard. Uh, you know, the laws of war are not, were not tailored to be used by judges and lawyers. It was tailored to be used by soldiers and officers. On, you know, they don't have, they don't need to have legal training. They should know. It should be very simple. If someone in front of you has uniform, bears his arms openly, he is a legitimate target. If someone is civilian. And only if he endangers you. This is very simple. Every soldier can understand that. When you begin to ask questions like, is he a member of a terrorist organization and might, uh, you know, engage in battle tomorrow, then everything collapses. The whole idea of distinction collapses. It's like the, the, the white flag. You know, white flag, you should not, you should not uh, uh, shoot at uh, someone who raises the white flag. If you start asking questions about the white flag, what is it made of? How big it is? And so then, then, then the whole concept is evaporates. Now let's return to Daniel Reisner in the war room. He's just given this advice, there is no war crime here. Go for it. The effect of his words are interpreted by the by the people in the room as giving a legal green light to the operation. Which never actually took place because the Minister of Defence was unavailable to approve it. It was in the middle of a political rally and would not be disturbed. It was on the podium speaking. So they didn't fire. But that may not have been the end of the story. A few years later, I lectured at the Shabak and someone said that actually that we did fire and we missed. 
So I don't actually know how that ended. But we didn't kill anyone. But it would have had, it would have had to happen within 15 minutes of you being there. Yeah, yeah. So how? Okay. I didn't ask. No, I wasn't informed what happened. Okay. So you you would leave the room at that point? I left the room, yeah. So it's just a quick thing, your right, opinion uh, and... 15, 20 minutes. A few times in this story already, we've heard about strategy and risk uh, and these sorts of things. We've heard about lawyers talking about the law and needing to follow the law and that being their whole role. But we also hear these references to, well, if we uh, if we fire now then and it turns out to be a hospital or an orphanage, we could be in shit, stuff like that, which adds this other dimension to it all. It's not just about the law. It's about politics and strategy and all of these different things. Craig told me that sometimes the advice from the military lawyer might be... I don't have a legal objection per se, but given the sensitivity of the political situation right now, I think we should only kill this person when he's travelling in a convoy with one person or less because I want to try and mitigate collateral damage. Not because mm-hmm. killing three people or four people would be illegal, but because it's politically you know, sensitive at the moment. Perhaps there are peace talks going on. And so they might might recommend make a recommendation which is slightly more cautious than the law would allow. Uh, and so, you know, often people talk about the lawyers as kind of not just the strictly legal person in the room, but the person that's able to think kind of widely diplomatically to be the kind of, you know, broader kind of quote unquote ethical conscience of, of, of what the Israeli state's doing. Now, I want to just quickly say, here's one of the problems with doing a two and a half hour interview, which I had with Craig, and then cutting it into little soundbite snippets. It sounds a little bit skewed to me here. Um, I think that we could be getting the impression that Israel always takes restrictions beyond the law. That's not true. This is Panina Shavit Baruch. She was previously another head of the International Law Department in the Israeli Defence Forces. She talks about this issue of proportionality, about, well, is it worthwhile to kill however many innocent people if in the process you also kill one or two of your enemies? This is something that you would imagine can be a little bit more subjective. You can have two commanders that will reach on the same set of facts, two different decisions, and they both will be legal. Right. Both will be lawful. The one will say it's not proportionate. Uh, let's say um, a building that in the basement you have uh, an, a storage of uh, ammunition, right. a lot of ammunition, let's say. So the one would say, um, if uh, that means the only way to get to it would be to bomb the building and have like 20 people that might be mm-hmm. killed or injured, it's one would say that's proportionate because it's very important to get mm-hmm. rid of dissemination, otherwise we fire it at us. The other will say, no, it's not proportionate. Um, we'll have to yeah. make do. And those, both, both decisions could be, could, be, yeah. could, be, could be legal, could be lawful. So uh, sometimes, you know, if they ask us what are our opinions, we would give our opinion. Of course, the more time you have, the more um, it is a pre-planned kind of operation, and you have time to decide, and you have time to 
to, to reevaluate. So it's different. Sometimes if you're under pressure and they're firing, and that, so right. you don't have so much time to decide. This story is far from being told. It's not over. In the next part of this story... 22nd of July 2002, um, the Israeli Air Force basically fly uh, a, a military operation uh, to drop uh, a bomb on the house of a guy called Saleh Jahadeh, uh, you know, a, a key leader in Hamas. Um, and so the Israelis want to take him out. That story and how it went horribly wrong in the next episode of The Rule Book. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Rule Book. It was produced and scored and everything else, I guessed, by me. Thanks to Craig Jones, who was instrumental in getting the episode together, did a lot of slash most of the work. Um, he has a website, thewarspace.com. Check it out. Really interesting. All of the stuff that uh, he's talked about here and much, much more. He's also writing a book, so keep an eye out for that. Studio.